Hello, and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of DeRitter, Louisiana, recorded at our 10 o'clock service on Sunday, September 23rd, 2018. Do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly and spiritual devil. Where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And that harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace, whose conflicts and disputes are among you. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? They, do they come from your cravings that are at war within you? Do you want something and not have it so you commit murder? And do you cover something and do not obtain it so you engage in disputes and conflicts? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers, do you know that do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is nothing that the scripture says God yearned jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives us the more called more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and his grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you fellow minded. We are finishing up this week a series that we've called Going Old School, where we're looking at Wesley's three rules for his general society, three general rules for his united societies. First week, we looked at what we refer to as do no harm. Second week, we looked at do good. And today, we look at what it means to stay in love with God. And I must tell you, when I was thinking about this message, I went back to, and please listen carefully so I'm not misquoted on this. I was reminded of two of my least favorite days of the year Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. Not because I don't love my wife, and not because My mother, and I, and not for anything to do with my mother, because I love my mother very much. I will not be the man I am without her. But what bothers me about those two days is that people look at it, well, I got to make a big deal about my romantic love today, or I got to make a big deal about my love for mom today. Every day should be a day where your partner knows you love them. Every day should be a day where mama loves you and you love mama. And when we try to compartmentalize them into special days, 
I think oftentimes we can overlook what's really going on and the fact that a true relationship is not nurtured in a bunch of one-off celebrations. But a true relationship for those in the investment community is like dollar cost averaging. You just keep buying high, low, whatever, and you trust that over time your investment grows. And the idea of compound interest carries you places you couldn't imagine before. And so it is with God. We are called to stay in love with God. And where did this idea come from? Well, John Wesley and his words, and remember Wesley was writing this in 1739. Were any of y'all around in 1739? Howard? I got to look, okay, this ought to be good. But Wesley writes his third rule. By attending upon all the ordinances of God, such as the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, and fasting or abstinence. Wesley says further, these are the general rules of our societies, all of which we are taught of God to observe, even in his written word, which is the only rule and the sufficient rule both of faith and practice. And all these we know his spirit writes on the truly awakened hearts. It's very simple for those of you who have looked ahead. You see that our disciples' path is going to be looking at a disciple being committed to prayers, presence, gifts, services, and witnesses. And that is part of our roots as the people called Methodist. I mean, really, are there any of us, any amongst us, who would disagree with the idea that part of being a disciple is the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, read or proclaimed, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence, you talk about going old school? Forget the 1950s. Let's go back to the 1730s. Let's go and let's look. Forget the 1730s. Let's go back to the first century and the church. As we heard from the letter of James. First thing we see as we come across this is that envy and selfishness do not demonstrate love of God. Envy and selfishness do not demonstrate the love of God. He says it right there, very part of this passage. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. Envy and selfishness do not demonstrate the love of God. Those are hard words, I think, for us to hear sometimes. Because I don't think there's a one of us that hasn't at some point or another been consumed with a little bit of envy 
And I know there's none of us that haven't at one time or another been afflicted with an acute case of the selfishness. And I think what we forget is we can so easily bend those into self-justifications and miss completely that envy and selfishness run contrary to God. Because when we're envious of someone or something, we're making the statement that what we have is not enough. When we are envious, whether it be of another family or another church or another person, whether we be envious of another school, what we're saying is that I really want that. And when we're pointing at something else and saying, I really want that, what we're saying to God is, what I have now is not enough, O oh Lord. I had 18 children up here this morning. And they are being taught, at least while they're here, they are being taught that God provides for their every need. And part of staying in love with God, part of attending to the ordinances of God, the reason why we're called to that laundry list is because they focus us on God. And when we're focused on God, we cannot be focused on ourselves and we cannot be focused on another. The idea of multitasking is a myth. You may be micro-slicing, but you are not multitasking. It is a scientific fact that the brain can only focus on one thing for a time. Selfishness does not. What does it say here? Where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. Selfishness, the idea that what I have is mine. That what I have is mine and you can't have it. But yet, what does God teach us? What does the life of Christ teach us? What does the power of the Holy Spirit illuminate into us? We are not called to store up things for ourselves. We're not taught this is mine. We are taught that all of this belongs to God. And it's to be used for your glory, O Lord. I wonder sometimes if we have the slightest inclination of how selfish we can be. Have you ever heard someone issue an ultimatum? Have you ever issued an ultimatum? Rhetorical question, I know the answer. What do ultimatums really accomplish in the big scheme of things? Ultimatums are a threat. And we get this idea, well, if this or this doesn't happen, I'm not going. It's a selfish motive. Because the question is not about what we want. The question is, what does God want? But in order to do that, we have to have a couple of other things that come along. The second thing we see is that humility and faithfulness mark one's love of God. So let me ask you this. How many of us live up? The wisdom from above is first pure, the peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those 
who make peace. These conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it. So you commit murder. You covet something and you cannot obtain it. You do not have because you do not ask. So let me ask you this. How many of us are humble enough to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I have nothing, am nothing, and deserve nothing. I am wholly yours, O Lord. Put me to where you will. Put me to suffering. Put me to dying. Put me to living. Put me to serving. Because, Lord, it's not about me, but it's about you. Humility and faithfulness. Not only do we need to have the spirit that says to us, I am not the most important thing. God is. But do we have the faithfulness to live out a life that has been created by God, redeemed by Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit? It's hard work being a disciple of Christ. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But part of being a disciple of Christ is understanding that the task we undertake it's not easy. It's not going to be understood. It's going to be rejected. We're going to come under persecution. And we cannot rely on civil authorities for our prosperity. We are not called to a position of status in society. We are not called as Christians to be those who are given all the advantages by the secular world. We are called to be faithful in all things. That's why that list was there. John Wesley understood that part of nurturing a life of faithfulness means being in public worship of God. The ministry of the word read and proclaimed, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence. I want to let you in on a little secret. God does not give us busy work. Any former teachers in the room? Raise your hands. Any former teachers? Any current teachers? How many of y'all ever gave out busy work? I have one honest one. I have Diogenes here with the lamp. I found one honest one in here. But it's the idea that there's nothing to which God doesn't call us that does not have a divine purpose. And ours is not to necessarily know what that purpose is. Ours is simply to be faithful and obedient which leads to the second, or leads to the last thing we want to hit on this morning. Love of God is an active, not passive endeavor. Love of God is an active, not passive endeavor. Very last few sentences here. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see where he's going with that? After telling you what not to do, he then turns around and says, here's what you are to do. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves. Maybe an English teacher in the room can help me, but submitting yourselves is an action item, is it not? We submit ourselves to God. 
we don't have the luxury of just sitting around waiting for God to do something. By the mere existence of God, God's always busy doing something. The question is, what are you and I doing? Are we old school enough to stay in love with God by putting ourselves in positions where we can hear God most clearly? That's what Wesley's talking about when he says attend to the ordinances of God, the practices. It's because when we choose to be active and engaging with God both publicly and privately, we are putting ourselves at a much better position to hear, to understand, and to obey God. What do we do, church? What do we do? Are we active or are we passive? And I will leave you with a little bit of humor from yesterday. This is very simple. We know that the Tiger Athletic Foundation had the money. They could have sent a $1 million check to Rustin to save my boys a lot of time last night. But that would, have been an, that would have been a very passive action by Tech. Instead, Tech went down there, gave them a run for their money, especially in the third quarter. Y'all do remember that, right? Some of y'all do. But it's very, let's look at something as silly as a game check. Louisiana Tech had no right to call down to the Tiger Athletic Foundation and ask for $1.1 million to be dropped in the mail. No, we had to go down there and be actively involved. And I thought of the story in 1996 or 7, I don't remember which, when I was on staff at the Louisiana Tech Wesley Foundation, and we had our athletic director at the time, Jim Oaks, come in and speak to us for our lunch, and we invited a different speaker every week. And this was either right before or right after we went to Nebraska, back when Nebraska was a good football team. And we got a $400,000 check for making the trip to the heartland of America. And somebody raised their hand at lunch and asked, Mr. Oaks, why did we go to Nebraska? And Mr. Oaks, before he came to us, was a chief of staff, I think, to Senator J. Bennett Johnson. But Mr. Oaks said, I'll be honest with you. I can sit here and tell you we went up there for experience. But we also know we funded a lot of our athletic department by making that trip. He got a standing ovation when he said that because he was honest enough to claim it. I don't see Jim very much anymore, but when I do, I remind him of that story. Because no matter what it is, whether it's a game check from the University of Nebraska or Louisiana State University, or whether it's the grace of God in Christ, we are not called to just sit around and receive, but we are called to give, and we are called to be active, and we are called to be engaged, because love of God is an active, not passive endeavor.